Welcome to Federal Insights, protecting the federal supply chain, sponsored by Infor. Here's today's moderator, Scott Massioni. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Christine Barnhart. She's the Senior Director at Infor for Supply Chain Strategy. Christine, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here today. So, Christine, first of all, you know, supply chain is something that's been in the news a lot lately. Uh, some people are aware of it. Some people aren't. Um, can you give us an idea of what your role is as someone in the private sector working on supply chain, especially when you're working with the government? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, for me, I kind of grew into supply chain. I'm an engineer by education, spent 12 years at Whirlpool doing traditional manufacturing and, and product management, never really even knew what supply chain was at the time, even though I was working with um, supply chain professionals until I actually made a career change and went to Mead Johnson Nutrition planning like Infamil, Infant Formula, and really discovered that supply chain is a bit of the glue um, that really holds businesses together. It enables them to make products, buy, you know, materials and supplies and, and actually get them to market. So was really lucky when I landed it in for um, just a few years ago as an industry expert and really the voice of the customer internally. So I don't, I don't consider myself a traditional technologist. I'm really a practitioner at heart. And um, in my role, I get to really push us um, to solve problems better, more efficiently, um, bigger problems, if you will, for our customers. Great. And, you know, the Biden administration recently came out with an executive order that really looks at supply chain, chain management and what these agencies should be doing for it. Um, you know, the agencies are now developing their plans and those sorts of things. So what have you taken away from this executive order? What, what's really the highlights that uh, companies and consultants and agencies should take out from this executive order? So a couple of things. One is, I just think it's exciting that at the presidential level, we're even utilizing the term supply chain, right? Because pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, even my family didn't really have a clue of what I did. Um, so I think that that's really exciting. It, it kind of brings it to the forefront. But beyond that, the key theme and really everything that's coming out of the executive orders is about resiliency. How do we make our supply chains less fragile, more resilient? Um, and you know, it's not so much about isolating us from the rest of the world, but, but really taking out some of the risk and making sure that we're able to be self-sustaining at least for a period of time and that we're able to support critical uh, groups, critical components, you know, whether it be you know, you know, large batteries for you know, electric vehicles or pharmaceuticals or minerals and mining and things of that nature. So I think it's really exciting that it's part of the conversation um, where I think previously there was just such a divide between public and private that we didn't really even talk to each other and we didn't understand how we were related and how we impacted. And, and where does that... Um you know, meshing or that area that you come together, um, you know, where does that work well right now, especially since supply chain has, we've seen it. I mean, we, we all had the toilet paper shortage at one point. Um, you know, there was something uh, that we could all point to that that was a supply chain issue. So, um, you know, where does it come together between government and industry and how can they work together better? 
So I think the biggest thing has been around visibility. And we saw this with like Operation Warp Speed, right? When we were really trying to mobilize um, on vaccine development and distribution, which was this acknowledgement that things are moving within a supply chain, but nobody really knows where they're at. When are they going to be there? When is it going to be available? When am I going to have it? Um, so I think that was kind of the first key, which was investments um, by a number of companies in the private sector supporting Operation Warp Speed in terms of visibility, in-transit visibility, um, visibility into my suppliers. Um, and then we've really seen it kind of grow from there with the Build Back Better, which says, you know what, um, we need everybody working together. We need to have more transparency um, in terms of what's happening within the supply chain. And we saw a lot of these trends even pre-COVID, right? We saw it in that food and beverage space um, where you know, people were really requesting transparency. I think now we really have the strength of the US government behind those initiatives. Um, and I think it's really helpful to see you know, tax incentives and, and other things to really help companies you know, kind of get over that hump because we are talking about investment, investment beyond um, the traditional kind of ERPs into more advanced supply chain tools. So I wanted to move back a little bit to that executive order. Um, you know, what might this order bring to private companies and also to agencies? You know, is what kind of policies might we see come out of agencies from this, and um, how can they help? Uh, really, uh, sorry, how can they help companies keep their supply chains? robust and, you know, uh, helping in, to stay with the customers as much as they want to? So I think a, a big one, as I said before, are incentivizing companies to make investments um, for better resiliency, better transparency, um, you know, more communication company to company. I think beyond that, then you'll also see um, not necessarily edicts, but strongly encouraged policies to say, you know, this kind of data must be available. Um, you must be able to provide it really at a moment's notice. Um, and then beyond that, I think another big push will be, you know, currently we have these multi-enterprise business networks. They haven't been well adopted across supply chain generally on a, on a global nature. And what we've seen as a result of um, just COVID in general, but then government policies and, and even just government research um, is a real push to build better uh, commerce networks, collaboration networks. And so I think you'll see a lot more investment in that area as companies, you know, they recognize I really have to have this, right? Um, especially in kind of the core focus um, industries that are, that are really being looked at right now. Um, are there any certain agencies that are taking additional steps. Uh, I know that the Defense Department certainly has had their own supply chain uh, issues and, and reports and, and things like that coming out. Um, you know, are there certain areas that in the government that uh, they're, they're pushing a little bit harder on this? All of the above. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, what we're seeing, you know, first and foremost, really is about um, kind of core defense, the materials that are needed um, so that our military runs efficiently, right, and has the, the supplies that they need. And then the other, I think, core area um, that we're seeing is really from FDA and USDA. So one 
you know, really trying to have a more robust pharmaceutical um, industry and pharmaceutical network. The other really investing in, and making proposals in terms of food safety, um, you know, and food security. And, and when you think about it, you know, like if you think about the pyramid of needs, right? I need security, right? I need a roof over my head um, and I, I need clothes and I need food. Um, and beyond that, I think, you know, other areas will follow, um, but probably not as quickly. What can companies begin doing to uh, work better with the government at this point? You know, you talked a lot about data. You talked a lot about just communication. Um, you know, how can they prepare? Yeah, that's an interesting question, um, because I think often we don't even think about should we even be interacting with the government until there's some type of an emergency. And you know, my hope is with Build Back Better that we'll see kind of this joint partnership as we move forward, because it, it really benefits everybody if we're leveraging our resources, whether they be public or private, more cooperatively. So, you know, we are seeing commerce networks being stood up. Um, we are seeing, I think, a lot more interaction than I've, than I've witnessed in my lifetime where you know, the different agencies within the federal government are reaching out to the subject matter experts in, you know, the various industries and in supply chain in general, and they're asking. They're asking for opinions. How do we get this done? What's best practice? I, I haven't experienced that level of sharing or cooperation, you know, in my 20 some odd years. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm sure there were great people talking to each other um, but it's just more visible now. Uh, you know, is there amount of data, uh, you know, now that we have this sort of data uh, available to, uh, you know, through cl cloud uh, sharing and all that sort of things uh, that companies should be keeping on to ensure that they can uh, have the things that the government might need or the things that they might need to better their supply chain? Yeah, I actually think it's more about what you what insights you glean from the data than it probably is the data necessarily itself. I mean, most companies have data retention policies, um, and and that data is great. Um, but I think what really helps supply chains be more resilient and more robust is when your execution systems are able to leverage that data to give you insights, to give you actions that help you you know, make decisions better, faster, um, more robustly. And, and that's really the shift that we're seeing is traditionally supply chain was very linear. We planned, we sourced, we manufactured, we delivered. And, um, you know, we were already starting to see kind of a shift. I think COVID has accelerated this shift to, you know, real-time inputs, real-time data, and really a continuous supply chain where we're we're planning and we're sensing and we're sourcing and we're executing really very, very quickly in real time. And um, I don't I don't see that trend slowing down. I think it's only going to accelerate. And I think the policies that are coming forward um, will help to do that. So I'm pretty excited. We're going to take a quick break. My guest today is Christine Barnhart. She's the Senior Director at Infor for Supply Chain Strategy. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, on Federal Insights, Protecting the Federal Supply Chain, sponsored by Infor on Federal News Network.
In today's fast-moving supply chains, it's not enough to know where inventory resides. Infor Nexus Control Center is an essential piece to the supply chain puzzle. Control Center offers enhanced, real-time visualization of the end-to-end supply chain. It provides predictive insights, intelligent decision support, and collaborative execution, including supply chain velocity, agility, and responsiveness. Take control of your supply chain. Learn more at Infor.com. That's INFOR.com. Welcome back to Federal Insights, protecting the federal supply chain, sponsored by Infor on Federal News Network. My guest today is Christine Barnhart. She's the Senior Director at Infor for Supply Chain Strategy, and I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni. So we've been talking about all the importance of supply chain and the really the government's response to this. And part of the government's response came from what we saw during COVID. Uh, what happened during COVID that we really needed to, to put an effort into this? And how did we get to that point where we were, where it was a little scary at times? Uh, while, you know, for some of us didn't have toilet paper, other times uh, the government didn't have the things that it needed or companies didn't have the things that they needed to produce. Yeah. So I think it's helpful to understand that unlike other professions like engineering or accounting, you know, medic, you know, being a doctor, um, supply chain is relatively young, um, you know, really kind of discovered, started to be talked about in the 60s, kind of grew up in the 70s and 80s. Um, and the supply chains and the technology really that we were utilizing at the start of the pandemic really hadn't changed that much in the last 20 or so years. And those, those supply chains, when they were built originally, were very regionalized. They were very domestic. Obviously, in the 90s and the 2000s, we really started to expand supply chains globally. And even you know, over the, the previous 10 or 15 years, we've seen disruptions in supply chain. Um, but I think we always thought, oh, it was kind of a one-time thing. It was a black swan, right? You know, there was a, you know, a, a hurricane or flooding or you know, maybe a, you know, a government, a government destabilization issue. This is really the first time since the Spanish influenza epidemic that we've had some type of a catastrophe that has really hit the whole world. And what it really did was highlight how fragile supply chains were. Um, they were kind of on a bit of a shoestring, to be honest, and we just fell off the cliff. Um, and unfortunately, now that that's happened, it, it will take a, a pretty significant period of time to really resync supply chains. Um, and a lot of people I know question that, what does that mean? So it's not that a company can't still manufacture a component or a product, but if they can't get the raw material or the components that go into that product, they're kind of stuck waiting. And we've seen that right now with the chip shortages in, in automotive, right? Um, so, and what's causing that? Well, A, you know, we had a fire and facility burnt down, but even if those materials were available, getting them into the United States is a bit of a problem right now because the supply chain is out of sync. It really depended on a predictable flow of goods and containers in and out of the country. And all of that is out of sync. Um, a big indicator of that is just looking off the coast of California and you see all of the, the large you know, ocean vessels waiting. They're just waiting to come in to be offloaded. Um, I think it's further really exacerbated by um, not so much a 
shortage of truck drivers, but the retention, right? So we're seeing people aren't staying in um, in over-the-road trucking as a field. There's a number of causes for that. Um, I think it's an area where we as a country are going to have to take a hard look um, moving forward. And I'm very hopeful that some of the infrastructure um, dollars that are moving through the system will, will really help with that. But everything is, is a bit out of sync. We were already operating on a bit of a shoestring. Um, and we need a couple of things to happen to move forward. Um, so it's it's really scary. I think the good part is just noticing, yes, there's been slowdowns, there's been disruptions, but ultimately you still have the things that you need, right? Yes, toilet paper was short for a little while, but you know, I didn't see people outside cutting down trees and using leaves, right? So um, it was uncomfortable, it was anxious, um, but it wasn't really a catastrophe per se. Um, and so I think that's a good thing that should really make us all feel a little bit better about, hey, you know what, we're resilient as a people, we can overcome these challenges. I think the other thing that should make people feel better is there are technology solutions to help. Um, companies that had already made investments in supplier collaboration and assurance of supply, companies that had already made investments in real-time visibility, they fared better during the pandemic. Um, we have a lot of evidence to that effect. Um, they, fared, they fared better because they saw that there was a, a stoppage or a slowdown days, maybe even before others in their industry. And so they were able to take action. They fared better because they had these you know, very cooperative and collaborative relationships with their suppliers that allowed them to make changes and adjustments. Um, you know, so one of the things that I have been, you know, kind of talking about recently, and I lived through the outsourcing in the 90s and the 2000s because I was at Whirlpool, right? Anything that we didn't feel like was core to our business, we outsourced. We saw a lot of problems with that, actually, right? Um, we only thought about the cost of the material itself, and we weren't really considering quality and lead time and all these other things. And I really feel like COVID put a huge spotlight on that. So companies that were more vertically integrated or companies that had what I consider to be kind of a virtual vertical integration, meaning they have a tool that connects them and their suppliers. They exchange forecasts, they exchange capacity requirements, um, they exchange orders, they fared better. And that's because they were able to you know, get those suppliers on the phone and say, hey, I want to slow this down. I want to speed this up. Um, so I think, you know, all is not lost. We've learned a ton. I know it's been painful um, for a, a lot of individuals, um, but I, I truly believe um, when we all work together, um, we're pretty ingenious individuals and we really will build back better. It was a really interesting dynamic going through that uh, that really COVID area, COVID time, and that we're still going through because it it sort of turned a lot of the, the capitalistic sort of tenants uh, upside down. You know, the supply uh, of things was really high in some areas um, and there was no demand while there was a ton of demand in some areas and no supply. Um, and then, you know, right. obviously you're talking about also, you know, we had expanded this globalization a lot um, and now maybe things need to be hemmed in at times uh, to stay within the United States. So. Um, you know, are, are people thinking about those sorts of things at this point and, and how we're, we're moving forward with that? I think absolutely. I mean, I've seen a ton of companies looking at 
Um, maybe not completely onshoring, but nearshoring. So, so bringing their supply chains um, a little closer to the point of consumption. Um, we've seen, you know, a ton of activity, like I said, in supplier management, supplier collaboration tools. And then I think the other big area is really around the demand side, demand planning, demand sensing. Um, you know, the demand patterns of the past have been just completely kind of thrown out the window. Um, you know, much of the demand that we saw during COVID, you know, people just were not predicting, right? Um, and so we're now seeing, okay, you know, we have artificial intelligence, we have machine learning, why aren't we using it more? Um, a lot of companies are asking themselves that, or how could we apply this um, better so that, you know, we're, we're able to see these changes in the market, um, you know, instantaneously or, or, or nearly instantaneously. Uh, you brought up a really great thing I wanted to go up to next, was, which was machine learning and artificial intelligence. The Army, which we talked to last week, they talked about uh, really how they've been investing in centers of excellence for things like 3D printing, for additive manufacturing, and also for AI and those sorts of things. What did those sorts of technologies do uh, for the supply chain and for that onshoring as well? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of impacts there. So if we kind of break this up and we think about, you know, 3D printing, um, it does it does a couple of things for private supply chains. One is it can reduce inventory. Why do I need to keep this potential part that I'm going to need for my manufacturing on the shelf? I can print it when I need it. So that's one thing is just it really helps us in terms of the bottom line. Um, but the other thing that it can really do is, is help us pivot and ship very quickly. Hard tooling takes a long time um, to kind of go through the design and the build and the testing phase, where with 3D printing and additive manufacturing, um, I can turn things around very quickly. We've seen great adoption in terms of kind of the design and the development side of the private sector. We are, you know, continuing to see improvements in terms of actually leveraging that um, either in you know, high-speed production, um, maybe maintenance, MRO, capital, things of that nature. But I think um, COVID has, again, really shown, okay, there's a need for this. Um, it may not, we may not be the Jetsons, it may not be everything at our house, um, but there's a place for 3D printing and additive manufacturing. And you know, I was really fortunate in 2015 or so to do some work with the Department of Defense, um, where we were looking at, you know, how do we set up these um, centers of excellence and how do we leverage them? So I really feel like um, on the on the public side, they've been a bit of a trailblazer. They've been leading the way, um, and and which is great because that's really what we need, right? We need um, those use cases that show the benefit, um, that show either how much quicker we were able to satisfy a need or how much less expensive it was because we weren't carrying excess inventory. And those use cases are then really, you know, held onto by um, private businesses and, and they help inform us and build out um, use cases and ROI so that businesses make those investments. Well, very interesting topic, a lot to discuss in the future, a lot going on. I'd like to thank my guest today. Her name is Christine Barnhart, the Senior Director at Infor for Supply Chain Strategy. I'm your moderator, Scott Massioni, and you're listening to Federal News Network.
For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Infor. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights, protecting the federal supply chain, sponsored by Infor on Federal News Network.